On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Her contribution to writing and to travel writing in particular had a unique commitment to the value of human experience in all its diversity. The words of President Michael D. Higgins this week on the death of the legendary travel writer Dervla Murphy, who passed away this week aged 90. Uh, best known as the author of the classic from the 1960s, Full Tilt, Ireland to India with a Bicycle. Um, fair to say that Murphy managed to travel further than many of us could ever dream, uh, despite, uh, incredibly for a travel writer, never learning to drive a car herself. Um, hers was a journey which spanned continents, sometimes in the presence of her own child, and she's written more than 25 travel books to tell her story. And Donald Fallon has been going through just a fraction of them to come in today to talk to us about her life. And um, ultimately, Donald, fair to say these books were as much about people as they were about places. Yeah, look, and don't we all hope to leave a book behind us? You know, Dervla Murphy left 26 of them, her travel memoirs, documenting everything from Afghanistan to Ethiopia to Cuba. They were just an astonishing uh, endeavour. And look, she became one of the, the leading writers in her in her field. And there's been a lot written about her this week, you know, in the in the obituary pages. But the one that really grabbed me and went, wow, that nails it. Uh, was in The Observer. Rebecca Nicholson wrote that it's easier than ever to assume the world is a terrible place and that people are awful and that kindness and empathy are dying qualities. But it's Murphy's writing that comes to mind when that hopelessness creeps in. She describes travelling through countries with little or no money, without knowing the language, nor what or who she would encounter. There are bad people, but most are welcoming and are as curious as she is, opening their homes and cafes to this Irish woman on a bicycle who's made her way to the mountains of Afghanistan or Pakistan. Her books are reminders that most people are fundamentally good. What a great little illustration Ah, to leave behind. What a brilliant, brilliant. what a brilliant obituary. And look, we hadn't heard a lot, a whole lot from her in, in recent years. In her own words, she became addicted to solitude. And yeah, look, at 90 years of age, you mm. earn that right, don't you? Mm. But that didn't tell the whole story. She was someone that continued travelling and writing to a very fine age uh, in time with children and grandchildren. Uh, and as one commentator wrote some years ago, Dervla Murphy's career proves that women don't have to stop travelling or doing whatever they love, but that women don't have to stop travelling when they have children. Yeah, as long as you've got a bicycle that can uh, fit the toddler in the back of it, I suppose. Um, probably fair to note as well that Ireland has actually produced a lot of great cycling memoirs, but they are mostly about people cycling around this island rather than going further afield. Yeah, it's a country that's made for it, isn't it? And you still meet the occasional journalist on the Wild Atlantic Way thinking he or she has the next one in them. You know, cycling memoir and Ireland. It brings to mind for me a great book that we, we previously examined on this slot, Willie Bulfin's Rambles in Ireland. Mm. Uh, it's a great read. Bulfin had left Ireland for Argentina, came home in 1902, documents this great journey that he embarks on. And it's a really good snapshot of Ireland at a moment in time, you know, the end of the Victorian age, a country on the cusp of political transformation. But what's, I mean, while while, uh, her work reminds me of that book and shares some qualities with Rambles and Aaron, what's fundamentally different is this. Willie Bolfin is a returning Irishman. You know, he knows the landscape. He's travelling around the country he's familiar with, at least broadly. Murphy's work is something different. This is a great journey Uh, into the unknown, into places where there's language barriers, cultural barriers, Mm. everything else. You know, daunting physical terrain and yet she documents it more than 25 times. And there's one thing which was remarkable, particularly for someone who was uh, prodigious and prolific uh, as Dervla Murphy was and it often seems to be the case for people who produce such an incredible body of work um, that life begins for her in Lismore in County Waterford and she doesn't enjoy school all that much. Not at all. There's an amazing train of people who don't enjoy school but manage to become such incredible writers. Yeah, and people who don't finish school and who want to have these these great lives as as, as writers and I reckon of, of school, yeah, she writes about uh, 
uh, Lismore and Waterford is fantastic. I had no objection in theory to starting school. <laughs> now, I definitely did. But. Like there are four-year-olds with <laughs> ideological issues about it. Do you want to go to school today, Mr. Fallon? No. But I had no objection in theory to starting school. But the moment I entered the classroom, I panicked at the prospect of being confined within alien walls until some unknown nun gave me permission to leave. And she wrote of how, if it's true that corporal punishment is inflicted only by the insecure, then our sister, the teacher that is, repeatedly betrayed her own uncertainty and inexperience. (laughs) She's a real free spirit, someone who was not happy within the four walls of a school. And I think the real education for her, you know, rather than the school of Ireland in the 1930s and 40s, was just freely roaming Lismore and surroundings uh, and getting joy from, from a bicycle. And I thought this was amazing. This sounds so unbelievably good. If this was a Hollywood biopic, you couldn't make this up. Ten years of age, her tenth birthday, they give her a bicycle and an atlas. You know, it's like her parents are saying, you are destined to yeah. travel. You are destined to see the world. Could there be any better presence than that? I might have held off after the 10th birthday for an atlas. I might have given like maybe like an ordnance survey, like a little road guide of Ireland. Like, I don't know if I'd be like, here's a bicycle and here's how to find your way through like the Soviet Union. Like, through everything. Yeah. Um, but, but then I suppose at least she did show some restraint because she was actually into her 30s before she started producing these cycling memoirs. I find that amazing. When someone leaves behind more than 25 travel memoirs, you would presume they, they hit the ground running. You yeah. know, am, I, am I writing from their teenage years? I think one thing that's really inspiring in this story is kind of how late the journeying began, you know, by the time where in our early 30s you kind of settled into careers, you know, but she spent most of her 20s caring for her her ill mother. And then she says in one interview, 31, and she's finally able to realise this childhood dream uh, to bicycle to India. So but it's like, remarkable that someone who would produce that many books would only have started writing them so like uh, like thirty in your thirties isn't late in life. But that you'd, you'd think for someone to have written so many, yeah, that she'd have got going in it, her twenties. Certainly not late in life, but it is late yeah. to find the path, you know. And you know, with bicycle and pistol, uh, she departed. <laughs> on an incredible pistol, I suspect, journey. is important. We'll come back to that. Actually. Yeah, I mean, the title of the book is Full Tilt: Ireland to India with a Bicycle. I imagine the publisher thought Ireland to India with a bicycle and a pistol mm. uh, might go down <laughs> yeah. as well. But a brilliant journey. I mean. It, it's such a great book that you know when it's written some people actually ponder is this factual memoir or is this just brilliant invention passes through places like Afghanistan uh, Yugoslavia and as she told the journalist I think fear of danger is more worrying than the danger itself because you just cope with the problems as they come in other mm. words you know if you never go anywhere you've nothing to fear and if you go places you, you'll worry about things as, as they happen and the great success of that book it gives the financial bedrock I think for others to follow always preferred bicycle walking was okay even journeying by pack mule in Ethiopia with a mule what a great title for wow. a book in 1966 <laughs> surviving armed robbery uh, for, for, for one thing and there's always this kind of deep curiosity in the books around, around people uh, and customs Ethiopia with a mule it just might be just the greatest book title of all like it's, it's just <laughs> brilliant so that was 1966 when she wrote that one then her daughter is born in 1968 and you might think for someone whose who's way of living is this kind of nomadic go off and write about your experiences you'd think right having a baby materially changes your circumstances time to jack it in she says nope Let's bring her along. Yeah, and it, like Murphy was not merely a mother from 1968. She was a single mother, which was a difficult enough existence in, in 1960s Ireland. But it meant that she didn't have the support uh, of a partner which could enable her to go off perhaps on, on occasional rambles. Mm. So what do you do? Do you, do you pack it in? Do you put the bicycle in the shed? But no, the journeying continues. And by the age of four, her daughter Rachel is travelling too. Now, they, they flew into Bombay. So okay, right. it was time to get on an aeroplane on occasion. Uh, but they'd make you know for very interesting places in in, in subsequent years. I'm like what a journey for a young kid, you know, to be travelling like that. Uh, and that grow for for travel is eventually inherited by the grandchildren too. But then there's this great moment in the 1970s where focus shifts, and she kind of wonders, 
are there more important things happening in the world that I need to write about than travel memoir? And she becomes kind of increasingly interested in political questions mm. and the focus kind of shifts a little bit from travel writer to something else. And this then brings us to a part of the world where so many people uh, on this island might sort of think of it as being so undiscovered or might think that they really should know more about it than they did. And of course, partition is, is much more about, uh, much more than just about political questions. It's also partitioning of minds. She that goes and having been to Ethiopia with mules and in India yeah. on the bicycle, she goes and, and examines Northern Ireland in the yeah, 1970s. From, from Ethiopia on a mule to Bangor on a bicycle. You know, she writes this book called uh, A Place That's Apart. That's what we're calling the podcast for this item now. I'm just looking at the producers to let them know. Bangor on a bicycle, A Place Apart and she cycles across the north and kind of documents Ulster society in the 1970s. So she's still on the bike, you know, that's an important part of the tale. Mm. But she feels the need to kind of write more seriously about the world. She goes to hear Ian Paisley speak uh, to his congregation. That's an incredibly brave thing to do, by the way, you know, for yeah. for someone from, from Lismore and Waterford. But she sits so there and w- listens. Wonder was the pistol still part of the travelling itinerary yeah. at this point, you know? <laughs> she, she writes about seeing Paisley. I realise that some readers will have difficulty in believing that a man who pretends to be a Christian and who sits as an MP in the House of Commons could say such things to a gathering of citizens in the year 1976. Absolutely amazed by, by what she hears. But there were books, as one obituary puts it, Uh, in which our politics mattered more than the travelling through Kenya and Zimbabwe during the AIDS epidemic, Romania after its revolution, Rwanda after genocide, the Balkans after a decade uh, of war. So they're not really travel memoirs anymore, but Mm. she's still travelling, if that makes sense. Uh, And she's giving, I suppose, a a sense of what's happening in these countries. Um, In retirement, and obviously as someone who who passed away at the ripe old age of 90, she had hopefully been enjoying retirement for a while. Um, She lived surrounded by books, but amazingly still wasn't totally finished with her own output, still had some works in progress. Yeah, she she lived amongst thousands of books in in, in Lismore, and what some visit journalists described as a castle. Her father had been a librarian, uh, <laughs> so that's always a good way to, to inherit an awful lot of books, isn't it? And she remained totally mentally sharp, it should be said. And only weeks before her passing, there was a really beautiful piece in the Financial Times uh, by Jude Webber, uh, which is full of what would prove to be the wisdom of one at the end of their journey in life, though, because we didn't know it when we read it. Mm. Uh, I'm lucky to still be enjoying being alive, looking at the sky and seeing leaves moving in the wind. But they were talking about everything, Jude and, uh, and Murphy. And they spoke about, you know, Queen Elizabeth II came up and she said something that I think is so extraordinary. She said how she pitied such a life. There was never any choice. The exact, the exact opposite of what I regard as the good life. Isn't that amazing? It's a fascinating insight. Like that, that you can recognise that someone might have all of the trappings of a particular job or, or esteem or privilege, but that if it wasn't what they had chosen to do, then you can't ever say you were truly happy with it. Queen Elizabeth II can't hop on a mule and travel across Ethiopia, you know? <laughs> Most people she can't hop on a mule and travel across Ethiopia, but to this, be fair. This sense, you know, that you get that in her school memoir too, that she would never be trapped inside four walls, you know, yeah. that she would go where she wanted and that she took pity on someone as powerful as that who didn't have that power. That's amazing to me, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and Jude Webber wrote about seeing manuscripts and notes and unfinished memoirs and that's amazing too, that the mind was still going and still trying yeah. to capture and tell these stories. Uh, it, which then makes you wonder if there's still more for, from her that we might still see and even now that she's not with us anymore. Um, the tributes have been plentiful, Let, let's uh, finish where we started uh, from Michael D and others and uh, what has been warmly praised in her longevity Yeah and we've just had that great festival that we have every year in Ireland the Bealtaine Festival which is about positive ageing uh, and it's something we all think a, a, a lot about I suppose getting old but I think as people we maybe overemphasize the years of age you know do we all age year on year in, in the same way and we ask why do we feel too old to do something at a certain age Something as simple as you know, going out, dancing, or as significant as travelling the world by bike. You know, if we're maybe in better or at least as good shape mm. as years earlier, why do we why do we feel we're too old to do things? And I think our life is really testament to going 
as far as you can for, for as long as you can, you know, and to, to enjoying every year and not being so conscious. Oh, I'm too old to do that now. I'm too old to do that now. And look, when the journeying was over, she could retire happily to the books in Lismore. But I think the lesson of her life is she got every day she could uh, out of the great adventure. Uh, she certainly did. I suppose just on the topic of, of positive ageing or trying to uh, repeal or, or trying to, to ward off the effects of ageing, that's surely something that you've been dealing with or at least you found someone uh, to be dealing with when you've been filming Brainstorm for RT1. Like, sure, <laughs> surely there's some academic somewhere, somewhere in the bowels of Irish academia who's trying to, to, to overcome ageing once and for all. Uh, a couple of episodes some, left of that. There's some wild billionaires out there who think we, we'll, we'll all live <laughs> yeah. in the digital world yeah, in the future. Cryogenic fro- freezing or, or the singularity. Uh, is there's, there's one or two more weeks there's left of Brainstorm? Left. There's one tomorrow. Uh, really nice final piece actually the, the ending piece is a, a history of, of, of lady, ladies Gaelic football and how it went from sideshow this novelty is, this when you were with us a couple of weeks ago yes, from the bells we're in of Croker, the yeah, yeah. So we, we're making it right up to the right up to the deadline how it went from sideshow novelty act literally to, to Croke Park it's a really yeah. nice piece uh, that will be tomorrow evening at half past eight on RT1 Donald Valley with the final installment for now at least uh, of Brainstorm on RT1 he's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast and he's the author of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia which is a social history of Dublin in the not so rare at Owl Times. Donald Fallon, as always, with us, and I'm sure he'll be back uh, next week. On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday morning at 11 on News Talk.